Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by the Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond. You join me this week with Ryan again. What's going on, Ryan? Hi, Stephen. How you doing? <laughs> doing great. <laughs> I'm sorry, a little bit of the Brooklyn just came out of me. How you doing? <laughs> you doing good? All is going well. It's a, uh, a low-key, cold, rainy week here in Rhode Island. Yes, Not back as, in the good old ocean state. In the good old ocean state, looking at the ocean, um, beautiful sunset tonight. That was the plus, but... I did I see a little bit of the sunset myself. Yeah, I haven't been tempted to go outside of the house, though. The weather's been a little bit miserable. It's true. Spring is not yet upon us, but almost there. Almost there. Yeah, we were supposed to have a big, a big snowstorm this week, and uh, a lot of, a lot of talk about it, and, and no action. Yeah, no uh, accumulation for you up there. I don't even think it snowed actually. Really, it snowed like a, a snow globe here in New York that was constantly being shaken, but none of the snow ever settling or sticking. You know, it was just in the air, all about, but well, like never landing. Actually. That's that's yeah. nice look for New York. The the sparkling lights of the city reflecting off the the snow globe like flakes. Exactly. That's a very nice romantic description of it all. <laughs> well, you know, Stephen, I think we have uh, an interesting topic for today, uh, and maybe you could you could start us off as as to why we decided to talk about this. But you know, I think we want to talk a little bit about Land Cruisers. That's right. Land Cruisers, the good old Toyota and also technically Lexus, a big SUV. Um, We mentioned it, I think, briefly last week on our podcast that my brother was considering one um, or had a lead on a Land Cruiser um, to get. And uh, it was of interest to us because, um, you know, we grew up on them. We had a few of them uh, growing up, and this was one that was very similar to the one that uh, we had later in life. Uh, it was the last kind of Land Cruiser my mom had before she switched over to uh, Mercedes-Benz. Um, and so, yeah, so he was looking at it for uh, a new car, something that's kind of reliable um, and has a lot of utility, um, is a little bit more modern, but not super modern um and yeah so i went with them this weekend to go see it and wh- what is this going to replace in aaron's grand fleet of vehicles that's the shocking thing um he actually might sell the saab 93 vegan after all this time yes our janky saab 93 vegan uh which if any listeners are interested in said 9.3 Vigan. It is a fantastic car. It's a fantastic platform. This one in particular has about 220 some odd thousand miles on it at this point. Um, and the paint is peeling and uh, yeah, and it's uh, stripes. It's, the stripes are fading <laughs> <laughs> um, from the sun and from the heat of the engine. But it's, it's a great car. Aaron kind of wanted to keep it. He's turned it into a semi-track car. Um, but he just can't, he doesn't really have the means to, to go and utilize all of that. The car is in more disrepair than is in operating condition. And, uh, he just, 
he needs something else to really get him around town. He's been driving my 911 around a lot, and uh, it's not the most convenient car to drive around. Manual. It's also slammed to the ground. Um, so, yeah. Um, so he kind of has a choice to make. You know, he also has a, a OG Saab 900, I believe a 92, um, which is not working right now. But he plans on fixing that up and using that as kind of a around town kind of car. That's when he doesn't need to do anything major. He doesn't travel, you know, far distances. It's a nice, comfortable, good car to drive around. And you've actually never seen it or driven it, right, Ryan? His his 900? Not in person. I'm thinking that he has an earlier than a 92 because I believe it has a flat nose rather than the slant nose, right? It is a flat nose, I believe, yes. Uh, so it must be a, uh, a later... No, it could be. I think it's a slant nose. I should oh, know this. Then it, then it would be a ninety-two. Yeah, I no, think it is a slant nose. I'm itching to itching to drive it and see it. I do love that model of the uh, nine hundred. I've driven. I test drove actually at a. I want to say at a Lotus dealer in New Jersey. He had a red <laughs> one available, a nine hundred S non-turbo like your brother's, and uh, it was actually a lot of fun. I really liked the car, and I thought that the engine transmission you know everything just fell right to hand as sobs tend to do that is fair that's true um we are getting off topic because we said land cruisers and here we are going on about sobs um but anyways so he would replace the vegan uh and that would be quite a departure from one car to the other uh to a toyota land cruiser but it seems to be the right car for him at this right time and there seemed to be a, a good opportunity for him to pick one up um so i went down with him to staten island to uh, one of his buddies uh, has a, a shop there uh, and he was selling it and i i hung out with my brother the night before you know going to see the car uh, i was with him in new jersey and we we're chatting with our other buddy of mine, who we mentioned last week on the podcast, who's a big BMW guy um, and has an M2 comp. And we were chatting about the car and how ridiculous the whole thing on paper sounded. To what we knew, this Land Cruiser, this said Land Cruiser, had 240,000 miles on it. It would actually have only, only 203,000. But um, it was a J... 100 series Toyota Land Cruiser, or it's technically a Lexus LX470. Oh, it's a Lexus. It's not a not a Toyota. Correct. Yes, it's an LX470, but it's actually a 98. So it's the first gen, the first year of the of, J100. Of the J100. That's right. Um, and yeah, it was. Um, it's gray on gray. So nothing spectacular, not the most charming looking Land Cruiser that um, that we often see idealized on Instagram and things like that. But a lot of the necessities uh, that people have to go through uh, on these cars these days have all been done. The air suspension taken out, fixed, you know, standard stock, you know, uh, suspension. Um had a new radiator, new fluids, new tires, and yeah, all the right things had kind of been done with it. So it seemed like kind of um, a good opportunity and definitely worth a look. Uh, so we went down to see it. 
And it was a lot more beat up on the outside than we expected it or saw from the photos. Again, it's, it's a two life in Staten Island. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it spent its whole life um, in Westchester. Mm. Uh, it's only had four owners, with his friend being the fourth owner and barely owning it, maybe for a few months. And um, yeah, most of its life in Westchester, with one owner who had it up to like 150,000 miles. And I think it was in one accident during that first ownership. But no signs of that from what we could tell uh, today. But a little bit beaten up. It's seen some things, as it should. It's a $200,000 Land Cruiser. Um, thousand mile. What did I say? Dollar. Yeah, no, not this one. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we were looking around it. It seemed okay. I was like, all right, you know, no rust on the body. Uh, we get down on our hands and knees and we take a look underneath it. And uh, it was uh, a little crumbly. Poking some holes through the frame. I, I wouldn't quite go that far, but, you know, on some seams, yeah, it was it was a little bit uh, questionable. Um, definitely had seen some better days. But again, it's a, it's a Land Cruiser with 200,000 miles. It's probably been through so many snowstorms of the Northeast when we used to get snow. And uh, we we're like, OK, all right, we've 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 dealt with rust before. We're no strangers of rust, so, you know, especially coming from a, a guy who owns a W123 that my brother likes to say you could Fred Flintstone and, you know, <laughs> stick your feet through the floor, which I beg to differ. Um, it's not quite that bad, but uh, we ignored that for a bit. We looked at the interior. It was in decent shape. Um, my buddy or his buddy uh does uh custom steering wheels and he actually redid the steering wheel on the car so that was a nice kind of redone feature of it um it did That's have a long way making it feel like a bit fresher right the contact points being nice to touch always make a big difference for me yeah no for sure a lot less wear and tear on the inside on the paneling the veneer the plastics the leather than um than we were expecting well, they're all pretty stout, right? That's uh, part of what that car was designed for, to hold up to a family, dog, et cetera, <laughs> beating the crap out of it for all those years. That's true. And, uh, yeah, and I guess we got around to driving it. And I guess that's where the car really, like, shines. And that's essentially what you're paying for, I guess, is is that that chassis, that transmission, that engine um and it's it's a uh what is it a one uz or something um yeah that sounds familiar maybe like a five is is that still a six the, cylinder that's the first of the v8s right the v8 it's the 4.6 liter v8 okay let's see um, i'll fact check you while you're telling us about the drive yeah and you know the thing just drove so damn smoothly you could not tell it had 200,000 miles on it. And it felt also so familiar to us, which is, you know, a guilty pleasure kind of part of it. Um, and we both had an opportunity to drive it around. It was smooth on acceleration. Handling the steering wheel was heavy, had nice heft to it. I had big knobby kind of tires on it, not like standard uh, road tires on it. 
And um, yeah, it just felt good. And it felt like a lot of car for what they're asking and potentially what he can get it for. Um, so I was there to be Aaron's balance, my brother's, you know, balance and, and, uh, logistical or logical, um, brain, you know, brainwave. Um, but, check. But, don't let him make a quick emotional decision. Once right, you get behind right. the wheel of that one UZ 4.7 liter, it is a 4.7 liter, by the way, V8, you know, it's, uh, you could be easily uh, coerced into handing over some of your hard-earned bills. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. Uh, I mean, what not to love? It does have some charm and character, but it's. I feel like it f- falls in that um, that middle ground point that we were talking about last week, where it's modern enough where it doesn't feel too foreign, but old enough where it feels a little classic. Um, and that yeah, I generation... It does. It it has. It's already looking a little classic because the dating of the electronics are now to the point of classic rather than sort of a little bit of an ugly in between. Exactly. And especially on this first gen, um, which was a little different from the one I grew up on. So my mom had a had an 04 Lexus LX 470. And that one was definitely very modern feeling. This one reminded me of her earlier one she had a 98 lx 450 um 98 or 97 probably um yeah 96 or 97 but uh it felt a little bit more familiar to that in the sense of the buttons and the layout which i preferred it it felt more utilitarian less kind of chintzy modern cheap silvers this and that um, the radio was replaced on this to be some Sony screen, this and that. So it did have a modern screen on it, um, which actually had Apple CarPlay. So it added some nice modern touch to it and made it more usable. Um, so there were a lot of nice things about it. And uh, yeah, I think it just hit the right kind of points of being a little bit old, a little bit new. And it was uh, it was hard for myself to be to find a lot of flaws in it. The only thing was the the rusting frame. Yeah, it's the only yeah. thing I could think of. I just looked at a uh, picture of the interior of the '98, and I realized that I must have driven around in this car as well when I was a kid. Maybe it was a 100 series rather than 80, as I was thinking. Unless maybe the 80 looked almost identical on the inside. Um, because it has that Nakamichi sound system. Yeah, unfortunately. The, the... This one doesn't, but you know what I mean. The, the standard with the very typical all-black layout, very small LCD screens, uh, yep. you know, Nakamichi stereo, lots of big chunky buttons, the big uh, uh, shift lever, no yes. buttons on the steering wheel. Yeah, I do love the gauges on this uh, on this gen as well. Huge, uh, huge needles, a very sort of I think they go very well with the relaxed feel of the way the car probably drives, you know, big needle on a big gauge to move slowly with the idea of wafting around. Yeah, I think the thing I liked about 
the interior was that the center stack console felt very old and rugged and good early 90s kind of vibe to it. And the dials, the Speedo, the Tact, had a little bit more of a resemblance to the later 04 LX470s. So it was a little bit nicer to look at in certain ways. Um, It had a nice crisp look to it without feeling too dated. So I think it was a nice combo. Absolutely. Just looking at one right now, I'm totally charmed by it. And so he did decide to bring it home after all. Yes, he did. did. Well, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about about his uh, LX soon to come and looking forward to take a ride in it all together. I do hope that he's able to pass inspection given the rust. Where, where uh, Where does Aaron register his cars? New Jersey. And in New Jersey, do they have a physical inspection or just emissions for old cars? I, I do not know. That's a good question. But it is a 98. So 25 years. You would hope that it doesn't have anything to really deal with. So we'll see. Maybe that'll be the, the second part of this saga. Right. <laughs> inspection stories. Well, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm sort of uh, interested to dive back into the history of the Land Cruiser because it is one of these cars where I think there's some level of emotional pull to it for any of us car guys. It's not because of the way that it performs because it's not fast. It's not, you know, going quickly around a corner. But there's something about certain vehicles uh, where the way the inputs just you know, fall to hand in a smooth and, and and relaxing way really does something for us. You know, this is actually why I bought my Jeep Gladiator. It gave me a lot of that while still letting me shift a manual transmission. You know, you got in it and you were instantly shifting so smoothly, which showed me that, that you were experiencing that as well. And I think that's definitely what Aaron's getting out of this LX, you know. And But I think the roots of the Land Cruiser were a little different. Right. So before the show, we were doing a little bit of research and learned something quite interesting. So um, in 1941, the Japanese army found an American Willys uh, abandoned and they promptly sent it to Japan and they told Toyota to make something just like it that looked a little different. (laughs) and in good Japanese design fashion, they went ahead and did that. Uh, And in fact, they did it so well when the 1950s came around and the Americans were in the Korean War, they went ahead and they asked Toyota to build their Jeeps for them for the war, and and Toyota did it. And that was the the start of the BJ generation using the Type B 3.4-liter six-cylinder engine with a whopping 84 horsepower. So I think Wikipedia does a nice job of sort of breaking up the different generations of the Land Cruiser because they designate this uh, model under the the off-road oriented models, right? And so that that sort of led into the production of the the FJ20 and 30, which I don't really have any experience with. I don't think I've ever seen one. I don't know about you, Stephen. But the FJ40 is really the earliest um, Land Cruiser that I've, you know, known and seen. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, on spring break, uh, 
maybe in my sophomore year of college, I went to Costa Rica and there was this beautiful orange FJ40 driving on the road in front of me with a farmer driving it, you know, doing no work. And I was following him in a Suzuki Jimny and we were on just a little two lane road. So I had the pleasure to follow him for maybe about an hour. And uh, it was just such a pretty car. But I could assure you that he probably had to use all of the all the <laughs> powers in that thing to keep going up and down those hills. Have you had any experience with the FJ40? No, not in one. Um, definitely seen them. They're pretty iconic from a visual standpoint, you know, the aesthetic of them. Um, but they, you know, they started, they followed kind of the similar Mercedes G-Wagon, uh, you know, history and, and kind of growth that all started from a very militaristic, practical, utilitarian, um, you know, starting point, origin. You know, same with the the Land Rover, you know. Correct. The Land Rover, the Willys Jeep, the the Toyota Land Cruiser, which, as we found out now, is really a copy of the Willys Jeep, mm. and the G-Wagon were those sort of iconic foundational cars to what what became the the modern SUV. Were there any other cars in that group? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Not that I recall. I don't know if the... Suzuki Jimny really stems back to anything too historical, but I, I would think not. Yeah, I'm thinking that must be a later iteration of something. Yeah. We'll have to look that up and come back on it. The funny thing about the FJ40 now is that in the U.S. at least, there's this um, huge culture around modifying them mm. in a very high-end, luxurious fashion. So totally redone interiors with all leather trimmings and you know, raised up on on a beautiful off-road suspension, coilover shocks, and uh, you know, knob knobby tires, and, mm. and, and you know, uh, beaded uh, 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 wheels. And the interesting thing about that is the folks who use those are probably just using them, you know, like I use my Gladiator Rubicon drive <laughs> <laughs> to the beach, you know. And it's more of a, a status thing, and and it's about an aesthetic, as you mentioned before, more than anything about the performance of the vehicle. Although they probably put the new modern V8s in those, so I'm sure they fly. That would be uh, seem a little crazy to me. I couldn't imagine driving one of those little tin tin boxes with uh, with a V8 in it. I think they put disc brakes on them as well. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, like they're just crashing into the sand dunes, like you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it's it's so different from what they were intended for and what they're designed for, and now they're being outfitted to be a little bit more posh, um, and just driven around, you know, Nantucket or something. Exactly. I I wonder what they went for, price wise, back in the day when they started off. I mean, because to oh, I see it here. In the North American market, the original price of the FJ40s was in the ten to fifteen thousand dollar range. That so actually that's, sounds like a lot of money. Yeah, that's in the seventies and the eighties. So that would have been a lot of lot money. money. I actually can't believe that. Uh, we'll have to look more into that. But you know, one thing about the Land Cruisers that we're going to get into as we go through the later generations is that they've seemed to be expensive to start with and retain their value, if not 
often sell for above what they, you know, cost new as time went on. And recently we've seen a lot of appreciation with cars and Stephen and I were sort of at, at odds on this, but my, my take on it is that Land Cruisers have been one of those vehicles that before the dramatic appreciation of general use cars recently have always retained their values. Uh, you know, I remember I really wanted one in high school and uh, just just that far out of reach. <laughs> Unlike the 911, the 964 that I should have purchased, the 964 was cheaper than a Land Cruiser. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, one was going to probably work for you every single day. The other one probably was not. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> the next gen that uh, came around in the 80s was the FJ70, which sort of retained that slim profile in the front from the FJ40, but took a bit more angular and modern look going into the back. Uh, and actually, they were producing it still in, in South America and, and even in Venezuela, um up until 2008 they stopped in venezuela i wonder why but actually the fj70 is still uh in production today around the world and steven and i recently had the chance to interact with one uh a right-hand drive japanese import you know called the land cruiser prado um a bit of a beefed up on-road version versus a a true dedicated off-roader What's the story behind that truck, Stephen? In terms of its origin or how we came to interact with it? Yeah. How'd you come to interact with it? Uh, well, I had to do a last minute drive up to Rhode Island from New Jersey in an afternoon um, to go swap one out for another one um, for a customer of uh, my brother's former employer. Um and I had to follow a Prado in my 911 for the three-hour drive up to Rhode Island. And uh, it was wild to be behind that car in such a slammed, lowered, you know, sports car. Because the Prado is, it's like a narrow, super tall, I don't even know, like, it's I like guess it's an off-roader. But I feel like you could just blow on it and it would tip over. You know, it's like on stilts. Excuse me. And it was, you know, this one in particular was the suspension was a little bit bouncy and stuff. So uh, it just looked like a wild ride. That's all I got to (laughs) say. They do look really strange going down the road with the lift. They kind of bounce around and. And, uh, you know, I I drove the uh, I drove the one that you guys picked up and. I was a little nervous going over some of the bumps because it felt like it could just sort of bumble right over. Uh, you get used to it eventually, but it it, it is a little bit um, agricultural in that way. Mm. At the same time, considering how old the platform is and how similar it is to the original FJ40, I have to say that the on-road manners were reasonably nice. You know, it felt like a Toyota after all. Yeah, in, in some cases, maybe more purely so than some of the other ones of that uh that era or ilk but i I totally understand why we never really got the 70 series here in the u.s i don't think it would have done well not a fit for our market of big wide open roads long highways you know this was this was a great car for south america africa winding down narrow lanes poor and and changing road conditions Mm -hmm. your way up and down mountains 
frankly, I think it'd be a great car for me to have in Monterey. That could be a nice, uh, you know, a bomber of the hills. You know, you look kind of militaristic in a way. I don't think anyone would mess with you. I don't know if I want that aesthetic now that I think about it. It's <laughs> <laughs> either very flashy or a little bit, uh, yeah, militaristic, I feel. Yeah, which you could probably want to avoid both of those looks in Mexico. Right. But the other thing that I think about when I see the J70 is sort of like the um, I'm trying to think of the the agency that's always supporting um, global nations that are at war. I don't have the name of the agency off the top of my head. It's a international um, agency supporting sort of like refugees and so forth during during wars around the world. And the, the trucks that they've always used in my whole lifetime and all of the campaigns showing their work has been with the uh, with the J-70, the Red Cross, for I example. I was going to say, are you thinking the Red Cross? I, it could be the Red Cross, but I'm also thinking of something else, maybe something uh, like related to the EU. Nonetheless, uh, I think this has been sort of one of the major vehicles used around the around the world, either in war or in support of those who have who have fallen to to tragic wars in their countries so it it, it probably has a, a very different um uh i don't know significance to some people right you know maybe in some cases it's something to be scared of in other cases it's been the savior right right um yeah, it's such an interesting car that I feel like uh, in other parts of the world is is a lot more significant um, and forgotten, honestly, here because it never came here and just wasn't on the radar until people could start importing them. Well, the next uh, car on the list is the uh, the J the J fifty and the J sixty, and now these are moving into what Wikipedia calls the comfort oriented models, and I will say the J, neither the J50 or the J60 look very comfortable to me, but they took up a much bigger footprint than the 40 and the 70. And so you can see the heritage between the 40 and the 70 and why they kept on with the 70 to this day, because it really is a, a narrow, very you know focused utilitarian vehicle. And the, and the 50 and the 60 started getting more to be people carriers or you know what we're used to in, in modern SUVs, right? And I never really saw many of the 50s growing up. They, I did see them a little more recently as I got into older cars, and they definitely have a cool retro sort of surfer look to them. Um, they're known as the moose or a pig, the iron pig, for all that you know steel that they've got around the body. Um, but for, I, I think you know, the 60 is one of the most iconic series of the Land Rovers to me. Uh, when I was around the age of getting my driver's license, I saw them everywhere at, you know, at the beach in New Jersey, folks saw them in New York City, up in the Catskills, and they just looked so good with that big four-speed manual transmission, very, you know, old and, and industrial looking dashboard, but having some charm with like a tweed cloth on the seats. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just so wanted one. Um, but they were expensive at the time, and you know, I think if you were lucky, you'd be pushing 65 on the highway. So it didn't make a lot of sense for me. 
That's a big car to only be going 65, you know? It's a lot of steel, a lot of chrome, you know, very charming. It's a, And it's a big car to even be, you know, just going slow around town. You know, the other earlier Land Cruisers still retain some, uh, you know, compactness, I would say, to them. So I feel like the, the 60 series was really when they kind of ballooned and blossomed into what we kind of understand or know now <clears throat> about the the body shape and the style and the size of, of the Land Cruiser. Have you ever had the chance to drive or ride in a 60? I have not, but honestly, um, you know, I don't know if you have or, or, or know anyone who's had one, but just by looking at it, excuse my groggy voice, um just by looking at it it looks like it would drive terribly (laughs) it does look like it would drive terribly don't you think yeah from some way i I think i know in my heart of hearts that it's going to drive terribly but i look at it and i want it to be this cushy sort of lumbery thing that i just know it's not going to be it has this little underpowered straight six and i'm sure the suspension is actually really hard versus the soft and squishy you know suspension that i want out of it but you know i'm gonna have to try one one day i don't know if for me and for my you know really limited use that i would have for it that they make sense for the price points that they command i mean really you have to pay close to 30 grand if not more for one today and uh, most, if not all of them, have been really succumbed to the rust worm. I remember the one that I used to see at the beach in New Jersey was totally rusted out. And I wanted to buy it from the guy. But even at that time, you know, he wanted more than five grand for something with all that rust. And it was maybe wow. more than what you and Aaron just got into with this uh, 100 series. Yeah, no, that's a lot of money for a car like that. You know, I'm scouring a little bit of uh, bring a trailer. And I see one that sold <clears throat> fairly recently was a 92, and it was uh, about $40,000. Yeah, it's a lot. The the 90s uh, cars are distinguished by the square headlights versus the earlier cars of the round headlights. That's how you can tell the difference between the 60 and the 62 series. Unfortunately, here in the U.S., the 62 came exclusively with the automatic transmission, and the 60 series came with the four-speed manual. We never got the five-speed and turbo diesels offered in some other markets, which is a common and uh, well, um, well-recommended well upgrade amongst Toyota fans to uh, give yourself a little bit of extra R- RPM uh, uh, relief on the highway. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah, actually, right there, the five-speed H55 manual is the one that that uh, that we never got. You know, I bet the car is really good with a with the diesel. I think everything else kind of makes sense if you have a a trucky kind of motor like that. But otherwise, I feel like it's just lacking with a with a gas engine. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be another one that we're going to have to add to our list of need to test drive, so we can. Uh, we can give it a real a, a real shake and give it our true opinion. The one that they're showing on Wikipedia seems to be a Colombian spec model, and it's got these really nice-looking steel wheels on it. Or Venezuela, actually, a Venezuelan model. Love the steel wheels. Um, the next gen, I think you and I can both agree, Stephen, the, the 80 series is the one that really... Um, 
had the biggest impact on us in our childhoods. I mean, you told me before that you guys went through three of them or four of them? Well, three if you count the LX450. Um, but yeah, my mom had uh, two uh, 80 series Land Cruiser, proper Land Cruisers. She had uh, one I remember, the first one she had, I believe, was white. And she loved that. And then she got a green one, which she hated. And uh, I don't remember why they switched from one to the other or, you know, they switched out of one to another so quickly. Um, but the 80, the, the green one did not last long. I think it had, uh, I think it was just a lemon, a rare lemon from Toyota and they had some issues with it. And, uh, and then she quickly went into the, uh, LX 450, which was the car that I have the most memories of riding in, um, throughout elementary school and up into middle school the green is definitely the color for me for that gen that's oh, the one yeah. i grew up in but you you did post uh, a picture the other day of you and aaron uh next to the white car as little kids it's kind yes. of a, it's a film photo a little faded and it looked the white car looks really good actually it does look really really good in white too um i i you know the green is is definitely a very nostalgic uh off-roady classic color you know a nice forest green to it um but the white the white has a charm as well uh, my memory with the 80 series is uh on long island actually <laughs> my uh my parents good friends actually in two places so one of them was on long island that their good friends had a uh, house on long island that we'd go and visit them at in the summers in bridgehampton <laughs> I was going to say, like, when you say Long Island, do you mean the Hamptons? <laughs> I mean the Hamptons, yes. It was a very bougie place, and, and they had the, I believe it was the Lexus. I, I don't remember for sure, but it was definitely green, and it definitely had the Nakamichi sound system. And I recall vividly uh, airing down the tires to go onto the beach, and I thought that was such a cool experience. But now that I'm remembering, I don't know if airing down the tires was in Long Island or if it was um, when they would bring the car to Nantucket. We'd go to Nantucket in the summers mm. when I was young and my parents wouldn't bring a car. We'd all ride around in, in their friend's uh, Land Cruiser. And, and I just have such great memories of that car. And later on, we, we they had it for years. Right. So later on, when. Myself and the uh, the daughters of my of my parents' friends were older. You know, we'd be riding in it with their with uh, their nanny. She the nanny would be driving, and I remember us, you know, playing with the sound system. And and I can just envision pressing the buttons on the yeah. sound system. Yeah, they really stuck with me. And I, I wonder what we were listening to back then. I'd have to think think hard about it. But uh, some Dave Matthews band and. Uh... <laughs> Some, I don't know, six pence, none the richer. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I, I, or maybe uh, Evanescence. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's. <laughs> or uh, Some you, Smash you, Mouth. What's, uh, who is, you, you ought to know. You ought to know. Oasis? What? Remind me of the, yeah, I don't know. I'll look it up. We'll see later on. I'll yeah. put it in the comments. The thing that really stood out to me about, the series of, of Land Cruiser where that was that third row of seats and that window back there. 
you know, the windows slide open in both directions. They're like, and it was a simple mechanical mechanism to kind of unlock it. So even as a kid, I mean, this was probably not very safe, but if you were back there, you know, you could pretty much open it up on your own and stick your head out the window. Uh, and, you know, it was a nice, if you're sitting, you know, poke out, you could be in the car, still being social and, and kind of be with everyone who's hanging around the car. And with the drop tailgate, with the split tailgate, these cars are so much fun to just hang around, you know? I forgot they had the split tailgate. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, I love the 80 series. And, and actually one recently sold on Bring a Trailer, I believe it was. It was a really nice, uh, like, steel blue 80 series with a manual. And I thought that would be a lovely, lovely car to own. But I think it went maybe upwards of 50000 It might have even been upwards of 60000 If you're on Bring a Trailer, have a look for that one while I talk about the next series. Um, I think the, the, wow, just a quick note that I find really interesting. They actually still offered a four-speed manual in the 80 series. Can you imagine that? That seems totally wild. It seems like very tall gears. Yeah. Well, maybe it was in Africa. You know, that would mm. make sense. This was actually the first Land Cruiser that they also made in China. They have a JV on it. So uh, it's interesting to note that those were also bopping around China. Um, the next gen, I think the 100 series is really a big departure for the Land Cruiser because it got a lot bigger, um, a lot more bloated and modern bodywork. I think still uh, for us growing up, that was a really um, frequent sight on the roads in school parking lots. You know, definitely an impactful car for me in my childhood. Remember a guy in my neighborhood had one and looked great coming into the neighborhood in a, in a nice blue. Um, but one of the big things was the, the engine and transmission, right? They went away from finally the the small sort of underpowered straight sixes to a, a more substantial V8, a 4.7 liter, as we talked about. What you mentioned before that I didn't remember was that they all had air suspension. I, is that also on the um, the the Land Cruisers, or um, most of the uh, most only on the uh, LXs had the air suspension? I'm thinking it's it's probably more of a Lexus thing, but. Um, especially maybe with the 100 series, we'd have to double check that. But um, certainly with the Lexus, they're all the the more luxurious air suspension. Um, which, when it was new, I thought did a fine job. It was good. There were quirks uh, to it even back then. I recall with my mom's, you know, we'd often load it up with, with stuff. We'd take it to Cape Cod put a bike rack on the back of it, everything. And it always had this weird adjustment to it with all the weight. So you'd load it up, you turn it on, you'd kind of level itself out, you'd be okay. You get to the cape, you unload all your stuff, and then it just wouldn't go back down. It would stay kind of propped up on the, on the back. <laughs> you, you know, have a rake, um, and it just never knew quite what to do or how to get back to normal. You had to kind of force it down in the low mode and then start driving it and then have it over the speed limit. It'll raise itself back up and then kind of work its way out. But eventually on ours, even 
that started to become a problem, the suspension. Um, so many of these you see today have had those, you know, removed and, and in favor of uh, more standard suspension setup. Speaking of the suspension, a really interesting change in addition to everything else on this was the first, you know, Land Cruiser that had ind- independent front suspension. So, you know, rather than just coils all around, I guess, which is which is a huge change. Um, I didn't realize that the the 80 was still so basic in that sense, but it fits the truck personality of the vehicle. Uh, you know, I didn't really pay much attention to Land Cruisers after the 100 series, to tell you the truth. I hadn't thought about them at all until recently. You know, there's the 200 series, which sort of looked like a blob to me, wasn't really interesting. And then the 300 series came out um, in 2021, which is the new the new uh, Land Cruiser. I'm actually skipping ahead. I guess the original 200 series when it came out looked like a blob, but then there was a facelift. I'm trying to see what year that was in maybe 20. Oh yeah, 2015 and or 2016 came out globally. The facelift. And that was the last one that they sold in the U.S. And the 2016 facelift, it is a good-looking car. You know, the the 2021 was the last model year that we had it here, and there was this heritage edition with these beautiful sort of um, dark gold-looking wheels, uh, similar to the wheels that I had on my S13 growing up. So I I definitely like those. But, you know, $100,000, if not more, to get one now on the used market with kind of antiquated tech. I just I can't imagine how people are paying for those. Who, yeah, no. I, who's, I, buying? who's buying these? Yeah. I feel I feel like devout Lexus owners who uh, who just can't help but trust you know Toyota or you know Lexus and and you know want that kind of simplistic understated luxury, but also stand out in a way because you're not one of the masses who've already switched over to Mercedes or BMW or, you know, a Range Rover or things like that. But they're competing in a very tough market um, and not at a enough of a competitive price point where it really makes people choose the Lexus or that, you know, J300 series over other models of that, you know, era. Um you know, it's a it's a it's a tough sell, but I've had some opportunity. You know, I will say that after my mom's generation of the the 100, uh, I agree with you that they really kind of blossom and blew up into some ultra luxury kind of stuff. You know, the J100, even the later gen, the 04, still felt a little trucky, but it was the weird transition period. You know, like the tech in that when we talk about old cars and tech that haven't aged well, that would be a car where the interior does not age well. And it's in that weird, awkward phase of, of technology um, where it wasn't quite figured out at the time. And just after that is when it kind of started to get more solid in technology and luxury and uh, safety features and, and all these other additions that kind of bloated the car up. And... Uh, yeah, it's just not the same car anymore. And, you know, I wouldn't say they've held on to any of their 
heritage so much, sort of speak, like many of the other manufacturers kind of have. You know, the the G class still has a very utilitarian feel to it, uh, even though it's very luxurious on the inside. You still have locking differentials. You could still use it off road, this and that. Um, same with the Range Rover, um, and it so it doesn't do that quite well, but it also isn't quite as luxurious and comfortable as the big German uh, SUVs, you know, like the um, the GL or the GLS or um, the X5 or even now the X7, especially. Um, I'm curious to compare it more closely to those now that I realize, although they discontinued the Land Cruiser in the U.S. for the J300 series, we are getting the LX. And I yeah, can- we do have the LX. Five. Is it still the 570 or did they move up? It's now the 620. Now it's a 600. And uh, I'm looking at it now. This is the car that shocked everyone with that grill. It looks like you sort of left your mouth hanging open at the bottom. It's this <laughs> horrible, uh, you know, um, rhombus shaped grill. Yeah, I, I think they really lost the look with that because if you if you have a... Um, check at what they have on Japanese and other markets for the Land Cruiser. The the J300 Land Cruiser looks great. In fact, it sort of went back to the historic design in comparison to maybe Mm. the 200. You know, it took a lot of styling cues from the the 60 and 80 series, you know, back with that Toyota and big capital font across the front, you know. Um, I, I do, though, now I think I will go in and try to test drive an LX600 now that I know they're available here. And I'm looking at the price, considering they're available in the 80s, maybe it is a bargain alternative to some of the other vehicles. I'd probably consider it on my list if it weren't so ugly for family yeah. cars, you know? But I, I have sat in it at the auto show here in New York, um, and it's it's a large, large car, very obnoxiously large. And... Um, <laughs> And on the inside, it just doesn't feel like a nice place to be. Everything is also kind of feels in your face and too bulbous and too up high. Um, And the tech still has not caught up to the appearance of the outside. The outside looks way newer than any of the tech on the inside. Some of it still resembled some of the stuff on the J100, I would say. It's a typical Toyota problem. Well, you know, with that, I think uh, we'll do some homework and and maybe we'll drive some Land Cruisers before next time. I'll do my darndest. Uh, I will be driving um, this weekend a Bronco going to North Carolina, a Bronco with a stick. So uh, excited about that. And next week we could talk a little more on that. If I have some time, I'll make my way over to a Lexus dealer. Uh, (laughs) But very excited to go for a drive with uh, with Aaron and his new uh, new J100. Uh, so we'll have to arrange that soon. And uh, hope your voice gets a little better, Stephen. Yeah, hopefully I don't sound like I've been smoking packs of cigarettes because I, I swear I have not. But uh, but yeah, hopefully I can get back to uh, a nice, smooth tone. Unless this suits my, my voice for a podcast. Maybe I sound better this way. We'll have to take a poll on Instagram. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks very much for joining us on Autoholics Anonymous. Uh, and uh, check in for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, and uh, SoundCloud. 
And uh, on Instagram, you can find us at the.autoholic. Thanks and see you next time. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, everyone.